before? Oh, just virtually everybody. So I'll just say very briefly, uh, Global Teen Challenge is divided into six regions. Uh, Africa is one of those six regions worldwide, and we're 27, 28,000 discipleship beds in 92 countries. And so, um, and I am going to move to Africa where I'll be spending most all of my time over there, uh, God willing, in 2014, uh, preparing to do that. And in the meantime, I'm commuting. So uh, that's uh, kind of the Ministry of Teen Challenge. In Africa specifically, we're in about 15 countries and uh, trying to open in two more. I hope by the end of this year, it'll be 17 countries. And I'm going to mention one of the uh, ministries in Africa very briefly, and that is a ministry, a Teen Challenge ministry called Balumbu in Swaziland. The reason I'm mentioning this to you is um, I've literally been across the globe trying to hire a doctor uh, to work in this place where we have 450 to 550 orphans and uh, the vast majority of them being HIV positive. Uh, not having a doctor on staff there, what we're having, what we've been doing is sending medical teams over regularly. Very dear friend of uh, Dave Fuse and mine, John Tweet, uh, their church, First Baptist Church of Pell City, is going to lead a medical team uh, the first couple of weeks of October of this year to the Balloon Boom Ministries and uh, uh, minister to them. And if you have medical training, know someone who does, or you want to go as a spiritual counselor, uh, you're invited to come with us, and you can uh, talk to me about more information about that trip if you'd like to. Uh, 30 seconds of background of Balloonboo. Balloonboo is a abandoned mining town in the hills of, uh, or really in the mountains of Swaziland, which is right next to South Africa. It's one of the largest teen challenge centers in the world uh, because it has over 300 residential buildings and then a number of other buildings too, being a former town. Some time ago, a Canadian group gave us $7 million where we were able to uh, purchase this town. And so what we're doing now is uh, turning the 300 houses that are 800 square feet each, we renovate those, and then once they're renovated, we move um, eight children and a house parent into, into one of those houses. And uh, that's what's going on there. Um, that's not traditional Teen Challenge ministry, but when Teen Challenge finds itself in the country with the highest per capita of HIV infection in the world, uh, you minister within the conditions that are presented, right? So, uh, so that's the only place, to my knowledge, worldwide where Teen Challenge runs an orphanage. Uh, more typically, more traditionally in uh, Africa as well as around the world, uh, we are a Great Commission ministry to people who have addictions, and you saw many brief testimonies about that before. So that's really all I want to say about Global Teen Challenge, um, although I want to say quite a bit uh, about missions this morning, but not really uh, in a foreign context. I was asked uh, three weeks ago to speak to you about missions, and um, I'm going to do something, I think, uh, this morning that's going to be a little different, uh, a little bit novel, and uh, I'm going to spend this time backing up a single sentence. Now, you know, to be compelling and, and to be provocative, uh, the sentence may not apply to you, but it applies to a lot of us. I mentioned it in the prayer time uh, that we had in there this morning, and the sentence is this. The life you've always dreamed of lies behind the mission you've always avoided. 
Now again, that may not necessarily apply to you, but for some of us, I think it should hit us right between the eyes. And I hope that this morning is really a biblical epiphany, a life-changing time. What I'd like you to do is to spend the balance of our time together holding me accountable. Can I back up biblically that pretty strong statement? For others, it'll more be a reminder of something where you need to refocus. Sort of like a place that you revisit, you remember how beautiful that place is and and how you need to be there and and how you need to dwell there. And I I hope this morning, by the Spirit of God, serves as something that that the gravitational pull of Christ's beauty just pulls you back to to that posture of missional living. And for others still, it may be just an affirmation of where you are, where you're walking, and and I hope that this morning does affirm you and helps you and when you're tempted to drift, that it serves as a reminder that you're in the most magnificent, magnificent place available on the mission of God. Now to begin to do that, to back up this statement, the life you've always dreamed of lies behind the mission you've always avoided. I want to, and you don't have to turn there because I'm going to skip around, but I am going to turn to Genesis chapter 12 in a minute. But I'd like to take, uh, have your attention on John the 17th chapter for, first and Jesus is praying there, and in the first part of that uh, chapter, verses 6 and forward, is he's praying for the disciples, and, and then as he continues to pray, he kind of shifts to praying uh, for all the believers in verses 20 through 26. And Jesus says to the believers, and he says to the disciples in the context of praying to his Father that, that they're sent into the world because, remember, his words were, Father, as you, have sent that, as you have sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. In other words, they're on mission. There's going to be something defining about them. And he prays for complete unity so that the message might be believed by people who look at this, this body of believers and see the, the incredible nature of their relationship and it lends credence and credibility to the gospel that that they're telling about. Unity for mission. And it's very interesting as you kind of work your way through that prayer, there's this missional agenda that just is always there. It it never goes away. And then in, in verse 13, Jesus out and out tells us, hey, here's why I'm here's why I'm saying this. This is the reason I'm sharing these things. And he says to his heavenly father in verse 13 of chapter 17 of John, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. That's pretty incredible to me. And it begins to start to unpack this statement, the life we've always dreamed of lies behind the mission we may have always avoided. Now, Fullness of joy here is a, is a very comprehensive phrase because it's not, that, it's not referring to a sense of elation where you're running through the field. It's bigger than that. It's talking about in the deepest ways, our deepest drives, our deepest needs, the deepest ways in which the way that we're wired can be met, our sense of destiny, our sense of purpose, our sense of whatever it is that we feel we need to have. Jesus is saying it's here. It's here in this holy trinity of of my presence and a missional agenda. And he's saying, look, I'm holding this for you and I'm holding it out to you. 
And I think if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, that the best way to think about this message is is that I'm not telling you where to go. I'm not trying to help you discover how to find a new place. This is really a, a waking up to where you are already as a person of God in Jesus Christ. Because it means everything in life we've ever dreamed of, our destiny and purpose, a sense of complete satisfaction. It reminds me of the psalm in chapter 16, verse 11, where David says, In thy presence is this fullness of joy. And even as we continue to look at this missional agenda that's always present in this stuff, always there, in Matthew 28, and I I don't remember the verse now, is the last verse, verse 20 in Matthew 28 anyway, Jesus gives him the Great Commission. And he says, And lo, I am with you always. And so you never forget it. In Greek, that's the let go of my ego phrase. Remember the commercial let go my ego? You're not old enough. Okay. Um, You remember, right, John? Okay. (laughs) Because Jesus literally says in there, ego a me, and that's very significant. Because for some, he says, when he says I am with you always, he's literally saying, I, even I. It's a Greek doubling for for emphasis, and there's nowhere exactly like this in the New Testament. And what he's saying is is that when we're on the agenda of mission, when we are receiving this great commission that he's given us, he's saying, I, in a unique way among the Trinity, am going to be with you in a unique way that doesn't occur in any other setting. Very interesting. He's saying, I'm coming with my presence in a unique way. In thy presence, in thy presence is fullness of joy. So let's talk about Christian mission. And I've given you a lot of statements, and I want to move from making statements, well, if you do this, and, and, and here's what is being said, and, and look at some narratives. And I want to begin to back up this idea of, of Christian mission and, and how God works and what it means for our lives. Christian mission is taking your gifts and and resources and meeting people's names, needs, in Christ's name. That's all it is. That's what ministry is. That's what mission is. It's serving people on a kingdom agenda, right? Amen or oh me? Okay. So I want to focus with you on a couple of professional ministers recorded in the Bible. Professional meaning this is what they did full time. And to do that, it's very important to understand right up front today that the principles that govern their lives are really the same principles that govern our lives. And I want to begin with Abraham, and and I said I was going to look at that because the Bible tells us in many places, such as 1 Peter, that if you belong to God, you're you're one of God's people, and you're a minister. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And all of us are called into ministry, each and every one of us. And when you're called to Christ, you're called to ministry. And I want to share this principle that not only governs these ministers in the Bible's lives, but that govern your lives here this morning. And so to do that, I'm going to read Genesis chapter 12, and I'm really just going to look at the uh, first verse which I can't see, 
And it says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'll show you. And of course, in verse 4, it's recorded that he actually does what he's told and he, and he takes off. And the first thing we learn from this and many other similar texts in the Bible as we think about mission and as we think about our destiny and our greatest purpose and as we think about the life that we've always dreamed of, the first thing we see from that text is that when you meet God face to face as Abram had in this text, you're sent. Whenever and wherever you encounter the presence of God, there is going to be a sending that accompanies that in your being. Whenever you get a grip on who God really is from experience and and getting in his presence, it changes you and it turns you and it puts you into a person who is on mission. Because what I'm going to suggest and then back up is that anyone, and I mean absolutely anyone, who meets God as he really, really is, they experience him, it sends you out. It pushes you out. And this is telling us that when you see God as he really, really is, I don't mean just just belief in general, but when you see God as he really is, it starts to destroy our consumer mentality. It destroys our, what is in this thing for me? And it immediately turns you into a man or a woman on mission. I'm going to back that up. Look, this is Abraham's situation. And almost immediately, God says, get out. Get out of the familiar culture where you're prominent, where you're comfortable. Get out of your homeland where everybody knows you. Get out of your safety zone and go to some place I'm not even going to tell you about before you get there. But you're going to take great risks. You're going to make great moves. And you're going to get out. And someone might easily say, well, that... That instance is very severe. That's, that's Abraham for crying out loud. Listen. Remember the first time Moses meets God face to face. And as you think about, remember that when, when Moses met God face to face, like Abraham, Moses at that point already believed in God. Moses already listened to God, already deferred to God, already bound down to God. But the first time he meets God is where? Burning bush, right? Exodus 3. You remember that? And almost immediately upon Moses grasping the grandeur and glory of God, the holiness of God that God talked to him about, the presence of God entering the realm of experience in a glorious way in Moses' life, God immediately says, go to Pharaoh, go. Look at Peter. Now, Peter, he's already a disciple of Jesus Christ. But in Luke chapter 5, Jesus comes up to Peter and they've been on the boat. You remember the story, they've been fishing all night, right? And Jesus says, how'd you do? Peter says, nothing's out there, nothing's biting. I don't know if that's actually in scripture, but he tells Jesus they hadn't had any success. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what, go out there a little further and this time put your nets down on the other side of the boat just, just one more time for me. And, you know, at this point, Peter understands Jesus is a great teacher. There's something holy about him. Hadn't seen the glory of God yet, and you see his personality in Scripture, and 
Here's Peter, this experienced fisherman, and this rabbi comes up and tells him, hey, just put your nets on the other side of the boat. Now, you can imagine Peter thinking, well, that's kind of stupid. But anyway, you know the story. He does it, and they get such a huge catch of fish that the boat begins to sink. So what does Peter do? Peter has gotten a glimpse through this miracle of the glory that is veiled underneath the humanity of Jesus Christ. And when Peter glimpsed God's glory, he says, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And the first time he sees who Jesus is, what does Jesus say? I'm going to make you fishers of men. Go. There's a kingdom agenda that you're on. This was an encounter with God with the result of mission immediately, every time, an encounter with who God really is will always result in mission. Let me give you a final example. I want you to see these aren't special cases. Isaiah chapter 6. Now, Isaiah's already a prophet here. He knows God, he knows the Lord, but Isaiah comes in and he sees the Lord high and lifted up and the train fills the temple. God's glory. And like any of us would be, Isaiah is overwhelmed. And he falls down and he says, I feel like I'm coming apart. You remember? For the first time, he sees the grandeur of God. For the first time, he sees the glory of God. And what happens? What does God says? God immediately says, you know, I have a job for somebody. I have a group of people over here, and I need somebody to go minister to them, speak to them, preach to them. Now, these people are very hard-hearted. They're not going to listen to you. They're going to be very discouraging. In fact, they're going to persecute you. They will relentlessly resist you. And what does Isaiah do when God says, I need someone to go? He says, here I am. Send me. Every time somebody sees God for who he is, encounters him, they lose their consumer mentality. It is transformational. They say, I will risk. I'll sacrifice. I'll go. I'll do whatever it takes to serve those people and meet their needs in the name of Jesus Christ. What's happening with these people? What is entering into the realm of their experience that causes them to recalibrate their entire value system? To recalibrate... That's counting down for me? Okay. Um, i got 22 minutes. That's causing them to recalibrate everything they've ever considered as being important, as, being, as driving their behavior in life? Well, it's the presence of God. And when the presence of God comes, this recalibration just happens dramatically in their life, so dramatically that Paul takes a lot of time in Philippians to say, look, here's all the stuff that I valued in this world above anything else. He talks about his education. He talks about his cultural and religious status within the Jewish community. He talks about the things that made him the man in his day. And he then reports, I encountered Christ. And by comparison, 
All the stuff that was number one in my life suddenly came into focused relief as garbage. What happened? He encountered Jesus Christ. He experienced the reality of Christ. And it brought all the other stuff that he was serving into true perspective. And he identified them as idols or as garbage in this case. It's amazing to me that an encounter with Jesus Christ can be that transformational. And he realized that the thing that he was always looking for, that he was always seeking, the needs that he had always tried to meet, that he had used as a frame of reference in achieving those needs meant nothing. It was all about the presence of Jesus Christ. He woke up, and he woke up in a dramatic, life-changing way. And that's what God calls us to do. He says, hey, no pressure. But right here, in my power, in my anointing, where I'm calling you, what I'm calling you to do is all you need. And in that place, you're going to discover fullness of joy and God says to us this morning I'm a spiritual tornado and I'm sucking you in but I never do that just like a tornado without sending you out but in that sending in that wonderful mission and agenda of God there's the life we've always looked for it's not about this morning discovering where to go it's discovering where you already are Let me give you a few more principles to go along with this. He never draws you in without sending you out. God's always on a kingdom agenda in your life. And he'll never bless you except to make you to be a blessing to someone else. And by the way, this is a great way of knowing that you're serving the true and living God and not a figment of your own imagination. Your joy, your fullness of heart always accompanies becoming a man or a woman in mission and on mission for the things of Christ. And when you're on mission, Christ fulfills his promise to be with you in a special way that his presence never exists in any other setting. In thy presence is fullness of joy. I'm telling you these things, that your joy may be made full. That's where we started in John 17. As you sent me into the world, Jesus prays to the Father, So I send them into the world. Father, as you sent me, I'm sending them. As Jesus was on mission, so are we. But not only that, he's telling us this, that we might have, verse 13, chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, the full measure of his joy. Paul reports it in Philippians 4. We see some of the effects of that in Genesis 12 and Exodus 3 and Isaiah 6 and Luke 5. But I also want you to know when you're sent, you'll sacrifice. And when I make the statement, when you're sent, you'll sacrifice, that's from that faulty perspective that Paul had before he encountered Christ. You're sacrificing the things that seem important to most people of the world, but for those of you who experience the presence of Christ... It's a different experience. You can't be a blessing to other people unless you're willing to lose things. That's pretty plain. Unless you're willing to get out. When God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless all of the people of the earth through you. Abraham, I have a mission for you. And I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you to be a blessing. Therefore, Abraham, get out. 
You can't even be a public Christian without beginning to get out, right? And as a representative of Jesus Christ, you're going to find that it costs you. But you get out. You can't be a blessing to others unless you're willing to lose things. But guess what? At that point, you're just like Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ got out all the way, at all cost, and ultimately got out so that you could be reached and so that I could be reached, so that we could be preached. And in the same way, if you're not willing to begin to take risks, to open your mouth, to forget about your comfort, to forget about your reputation, to forget about your needs, your status, your wallet, if you're not willing to use your spiritual gifts and talents and begin to spend your time and let it cut into your weekends and let it cut into your lifestyle and let it cut into your vacations, you're not only not listening to Jesus' directions, you're not looking at who he is. It's not, that, it's not just that you're not listening to God. It's that we're not like God. Because God got out all the way so that he could bless us. So that sort of helps me make what in a worldly mindset would seem to be a sacrifice, but enter into a situation where the presence of God crashes our consciousness in such a way that we yell like Paul in Philippians 4, wow, that stuff I thought I was sacrificing turned out to be trash. It turned out to be the garbage. When people are willing to put their time, their resources, themselves on the line, when you are willing to sacrifice, you're blessed dramatically. And we don't do it to get blessed because then we're ultimately doing it for ourselves. But it's okay to understand the blessings that come with missional obedience, with a change in lifestyle, with a change in the way we do things and in the way we live. You know, when Jesus got that great effusion of the Spirit, when he got that great thing from the Lord when he came down and said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased, that happened at the exact moment that he began his his ministry. How do you get that kind of assurance? How do you get that kind of sense of presence of God? Well, he's going to bless you with his presence when we begin to get out to bless others. It descends upon you when you're about to move out. And I would just encourage you to attempt great things for God and he will give you gulps of himself. He'll give you huge portions of himself. And in thy presence will be fullness of joy. You know, all the stuff that's dragging on us and tempting us and pulling us towards things that aren't of God. I want you to know the only way to defeat temptation in this world is to experience something more beautiful than anything the world has to offer. And that's Jesus Christ. And you won't miss what you had, or you may still have it, or you may still have it and a hundred times more. But it's not going to be Lord anymore. Because when you encounter the real Lord, the temptations of this world lose their pull. And they don't change. They're not transformed. 
But the experience of Jesus Christ and his presence is so beautiful, so compelling, so overwhelming that it doesn't matter anymore. It's like somebody who'd been on a diet of sand and cheese their whole life all of a sudden goes to the outback. I don't know how well that works, but you know what I'm saying. You know how big presence is? The presence of Jesus Christ in your life? 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it tells us what it will be like on the last day of history. Here's what it says. Beloved, what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him. Here's why. For we shall see him as he is. Now pull that apart in your head for a second. On the last day of history, that's telling us we're suddenly going to become glorified, blindingly beautiful. How? Is God going to have this glory gun and just zap us? And all of a sudden we've got this effulgent nature and the the sin nature is gone and, and there we are. We'll just be blindingly beautiful and radiant. No, it tells us. It tells you how this is going to happen. We shall see him as he is. We will be like him because we finally see in fullness him as he really is. But the truth of it is this morning that you will be like Jesus Christ to the degree that you see him like he really is. And that comes through his presence. If God didn't have a mission for you, he would have immediately translated you to heaven the second you got saved. So let me ask you, are you personally and vitally on mission? And if not, why not? Because I'm going to be your counselor for eight seconds and say, hey, the life you've always dreamed of lies behind the mission you've always avoided. And let me give just a little more context, and I'm through. Because I keep talking about mission, and I, I don't mean going to Africa or Indochina or necessarily going overseas. All I mean is, are you on a kingdom agenda? That's all. As Jesus was sent, we're sent. And don't think you've got to go halfway around the world. In fact, one of the things that used to blow me away during the nine years I was a pastor is I'd look at my members, I would always ask myself or someone that I was close to, why? Is it easier for these people to go halfway around the world than across the street? I never understood that. I used to be a church consultant for the Southern Baptist Convention, and I saw that everywhere I went. It's just easier for some reason. I don't know why. But if you're walking out the mission of God has given you, in the economy of God, hear me well. If you're walking out the mission God has given you, In his economy, you're just as significant as Billy Graham or whoever you want to use as a pinnacle example. Because we get this idea that, okay, there's us who are the 
missionaries who kind of do it, and then there's the special forces guys that go over, and gals that go overseas and have secret video conferences with us and use code words and, and that kind of, well, they try to use code words. Were you all here the other week for that? Okay. No. What they're doing is cool, don't get me wrong, but they're not doing anything than you're doing, and it's being obedient to the mission that God has given them. For some of us, it's in Africa. For others, it's in the nursery where your two children are that you are going to disciple and evangelize. And that's your missionary expression of a missional lifestyle. And you're just as significant as anybody in God's economy. I assure you that God is not impressed by severity of sacrifice, scale or scope. And God's not holding his breath when I get on the plane. How far is Doug going to take this thing? He doesn't need me. There's a number of reasons for that. And I'll tell you two. First, no matter how much you're getting out there for Jesus, you can only do it because Jesus already got out there all the way for you. Right? On the cross, you were rescued. In some respects, and certainly in my respect, against my will. And now God has given me a mission, and you a mission, and he's anointed you to do it, and all you can do is say like Paul in Romans 15, I'll brag of nothing. There's nothing I bring to this equation except what Christ, Paul's words, has done through me in the winning of people to the Lord. Well, that takes a lot of pressure off. I don't even have to do this thing. Jesus Christ and the anointing of his Holy Spirit is going to do it through me. And the other reason is this. Everything you have (laughs) is derived. In other words, you have no native luminescence. And if you shine with the glory of Jesus Christ this morning, it's because you're reflecting it. Now that can be a little unsettling to some, but I assure you it's a blessing. And God's not sweating out the growth of his plan because of what you'll do, but he has transformed you into a witness. And he's anointed you for a mission. And he's blanketed you with his love. And he's engulfed you with his assurance. And he's revealed to you, maybe this morning, that you're saved for a mission, among other things. And he's already given you everything you need to do that which he's called you to do. He already knows how he's going to come alongside you when you're obedient. And he already knows how he's going to pour out joy from his throne into your heart in the person of his son when you walk the path that he designed from you, for you from the beginning of time. Now, when you get up tomorrow morning, A lot of you guys are going to go to the marketplace and gals by way of a job. Some of you are going to go because you're getting groceries. But we're going into this world with a mission. Critical mission field out there. In the four Gospels, Jesus makes 132 public appearances, of which 122 were in the marketplace. And Jesus tells 52 parables, 45 of which are taking place in the marketplace. And in Acts, 
the church, of the 40 miracles that take place, 39 take place in the marketplace. The point is this. You know how when I go to Africa and move there or when the missionaries we had the, uh, two weeks ago, they're getting ready to leave and we bring them down here and we all lay hands on them and we pray for them, right? Because God has, has given them a, a unique purpose and a unique calling. I believe that it would be biblically appropriate. And I know why we do that and I totally affirm it and I'm glad to be a part of it. But I want you to know biblically you're set aside in the same way. And you're set aside just as much. In Jesus' prayer in John 17, he said, Father, sanctify them. In other words, set them apart for my deal, for what I'm going to do. And because of the Holy Spirit, there's really no pressure. Because it's his power working through you, which is why Paul said in Romans 15, I'll never brag of anything except what Christ has done through me. Or when you're in here in the church and you're equipping people and you're teaching, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, I will, and to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We've all got this anointing. Jesus is continuing to reach people on this earth, but his plan is to do it through you in the person of his Spirit. And he tells you these things, that your joy may be complete. My prayer is not, Jesus, praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Lord, set them apart for his work. So, there it is. As much or more as I'm called to Africa and the Skinners are called to wherever they are or Becky's called to Norway, we are set apart and we're anointed when we leave this place and go out there. We're on Christ's agenda for his purpose and the life we've always dreamed of for some of us. Maybe for many, I don't know. Lies behind the mission we've always avoided. And I just wonder this morning what it's going to take. Literally, I'm not being cute. For the 1,000 members of Sojourn Church that are out there who don't know it yet to be told. I could be in any church and say the same thing. Well, that's not David Thew's job or Eric's job. That's my job and it's your job. But in thy presence is fullness of joy. And in walking out that job, Christ comes in a special way. Totally recalibrates my entire value system and gets a hold of me as only he can do. And I just wonder if we're ready for the big life in this room. Father, in Jesus' name, to the glory of your Son, 
God, to the extent that I've been Western Union for you, may those words strike deeply and resonate and translate into a new heart, into a new love, into an experience of presence for each of us here. Anything I said that was from me and not from you, let it fall off people's bodies like Teflon. And Lord, I thank you for this church, Sojourn, that is a missionary outpost for you to this community. And I thank you for the ministers that I'm with this morning, that you've sovereignly and divinely called and empowered to man that outpost and to reach others. And finally, God, I rest in the fact that as we do that work, while the devil would try and sell us that there's pressure and that being a holy hit squad is what you're going to do and it's going to... No. We rest. And that the Spirit of God has promised to anoint us and empower us so I just dare us to say, Lord, I'll go. I will go in thy presence, in thy power, to the glory of your Son.